what we talked about in church last Sunday was foundational for everything that we do, period. Okay? What we talked about last Sunday in the message was foundational for the direction that Jesus wants for us, that the leadership sees for us, for everything that we are doing as the church at Cross Plains Christian Church. The message last Sunday was great. You need to go listen to it. That sounds kind of self-promoting, but it's true. It was good. It's at the heart of what we're doing. For some reason, God wanted you to be here to hear the whole thing, so the last about 10 minutes got cut off and just stopped recording for some magical reason. Don't know why, but there's still plenty of good stuff in there. What we talked about is Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, where Jesus gives the invitation, but it's also our direction. He says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we talked about how, as we're following Jesus, as we want to be disciples, we want to be Christians, we want to be the church. Jesus said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That we are following Jesus, we're changed by Jesus, and we're on mission with Jesus. It's all right there. You don't need anything else, but we have it, thankfully. Praise God. He gave us more than that, but he gave us what we need, and everybody can remember that. We can. Every single one of you can remember that. Whatever church context you're in, wherever you are in your faith, if you're following after Jesus, if you can remember Matthew 4.19, you're going to be in a good place. Because he called his first disciples, those who would become the 12 and his apostles, to follow him. And he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So as a Christian, as a disciple, you are to be following Jesus, period. You are to be changed by Jesus. And you're to be on mission with Jesus. So notice that change that happens in your life. That's why I said this is so important and you can't miss it. That's why I'm summarizing it again. You have to be changed. By who? By Jesus, by his spirit at work in us, not by the preacher, not by the congregation, changed by Jesus as a follower, as a Christian committed and devoted to following him. You're to be following Jesus, changed by Jesus and on mission with Jesus. Go back and listen to that. It's on our app. It's on our website. The app's free for now. Go ahead and get it while it's still free. I mean, it's still going to be free, but sometimes if you make it seem urgent, people will do stuff. Okay. Um, but what we have also done for us as a church is we, de- we dig even deeper than just that. Matthew 4.19 is a great place to start when someone says, what's a Christian to do? What has Jesus asked of me? But we've expounded on that a little bit more in our definition of what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who loves God and others, bears fruit, and equips others for service. John 12, Mark 15, and Ephesians 4. You can all know that when I start seeing you in stores or at your house. I know where most of you live, or at least I can find it. Um, I'm going to ask you what it is, and I want you to know. I don't mean that in a domineering or a bullying way, but we'd all, because, and maybe you come up with your own way, then you explain it better than I can, and you know what, that's awesome, and I'm fine with that. But God tells us, and his word tells us, that we are to be ready in season and out of season to give a defense for what we believe. So that when someone is to ask me, Joel, what's Jesus all about, I can tell them. I'll probably stumble as I do that, but I'll be able to share with them, even if I don't have access to his scriptures, that I can let them know what the church is about and why it's so important and how he has impacted and changed my life. A disciple loves God and others, Mark 12. Jesus has asked the greatest command. He says, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this. That's the entire Old Testament. The part that is too long for us to read so we neglect it because we can't say the names. Love God and love others. Someone who's going to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, changed by Jesus and on mission with Jesus. Love God and love others. Bear fruit, John 15, 8, and equip others for service. Train others for ministry, for the work that the church is to accomplish because the church was always God's plan. The church isn't a backup. God wasn't surprised when we messed up and we sinned. But he gave us a choice and sin happened and God always had a plan in place and the plan was a person and it's Jesus. And he came and he called his disciples. He said, come and follow me. 
and I'll make you fishers of men. And he used those men to start the church, the same church that you and I are worshiping together as a part of today. There's one church. There's one bride of Christ. And we're a part of it. What I want us to do in our time together today um, is start in the very beginning of our relationship with God and with Jesus. And when I say the beginning, I mean the beginning. Not the very, very beginning, but pretty close. The book of Genesis and the beginning of our Bibles, the first book in the Old Testament. I'm going to read some from Genesis Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. If you have your Bible, this is the time to get it out and follow along. Get out your phone, turn off Facebook. Unless I say something good, then you can put it on Facebook. I say something terrible, you can put it on there too. We can talk about that afterwards. But pull out your Bibles, turn it on, flip to it. You can read along when we get to John. I didn't throw the Genesis passage up here. Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 24 and following. But what we have here in creation as God came and he created on different days where we find ourselves when we pick up in Genesis chapter 1 verse 24 is the sixth day. So these are the things that happen. These are the things that are foundational for everything that exists and what God told us about ourselves and really what God told us about him. Genesis 24 verse 24 that is chapter 1. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us, it's very important, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over the creep, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the faith of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and to every type of bird in the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Notice if you go back and even if you read the accounts that I didn't read on the different days and and what God created, he created and it was good. He created and he was satisfied. But it wasn't until God made you. It wasn't until God made us. It wasn't until God made mankind that his creation was very good. You, as a person created in the image and likeness of God, are the capstone of God's creation. And that's why every life has value, whether they know Jesus or they don't. That's why every life has value, whether they're a good person, which honestly doesn't mean anything when it comes to Jesus, or if they're not a good person. Every life has value because we are created in the image of the loving Father who crafted us and who knows us better than we will ever know ourselves. 
So as God gives us this account in Genesis about him creating and where we came from, he created people. And it was very good, at least for a time. Because God gave us a choice. And when I choose to disobey God, that sin, and when sin comes into my life, that there are consequences. Sometimes short-term, sometimes consequences that may stay with me for the rest of my life. Now, just because the consequence of sin might still stay with me doesn't mean that sin is not forgiven, okay? Make it an important distinction there, there. Now, sometimes it's different. Why? Because life is messy. Why is life messy? Because you are messy. How you like that? Because I am messy. Because we are messy as people, and that's why life is messy. But if I go on a little bit more into Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 15. Genesis 2, 15 and following. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, surely you eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's pretty straightforward, right? Don't do this. You will die. Sometimes I think, or at least for me, I don't know about you. I like to think, God, I wish you would just give me a clear warning so I don't hurt myself. He does. And I do it anyway, because sometimes I don't make good decisions. But continuing on in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought to them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up and placed it with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman And brought her to the man, and he said, This is the bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And now notice what I said, and not really what I said, because what I said doesn't matter. What God says is ultimately what matters. He said he created and it was good. He created and it was good. He created animals and it was good. He created people and it was very good. But it's very interesting how it's worded in Genesis chapter 2. And I don't want to miss this. In verse 18, so God, as we're tracking along, he created the plants. He created the lights. He created earth. He created life. And then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Well, I'm confused. Was Adam alone? No. He was with God. God was there with him. He was not by himself. But he says, God says very clearly, it was not good that the man was alone. So what God saw is that he needed a suitable helper. Now, that is not a mandate that every person should become married. Singleness is not a problem to be solved or fixed, okay? God directs us in our life. That is not what God is saying. If 
I think it's easy to kind of promote the message. If you aren't married or if you're married and if you don't have kids, you're not important. When are you going to start a family? When are you going to settle down? When are you going to grow up? And all that language just doesn't fit, and it's not helpful, and it's hurtful actually a lot of times. But really what God has done is that he has shown us that we are created to live in a relationship with him and with others. That's why at the very beginning of our definition of what a Christian is, what the church should be, what a disciple is, Mark 12, verses 30 and 31, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God with everything you have and love others as yourself. You were created to live in relationship with other people, in relationship with God and in relationship with others. We are relational beings. God created us to live in relationship with him. Notice back in Genesis He says, let us create, let us create man in our image. He didn't say, let me create man in my image. He said, let us create man in our image. And it's just one God, but we know how God exists. There is the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So as God is expressing his creation, God is a relational God. God lives in community with himself, and his community is never broken. So you and I were designed in the image of the loving God, the Father, and His Son, and His Spirit. And from the very beginning of everything, we were designed to live in community with one another. And when we intentionally try to isolate ourselves from God and from His community, we get in trouble. Because our enemy knows when we're weak, And he will come after us when we are weak. Because he wants the greatest gains. He wants the greatest yield in the work that the devil is trying to do to keep us from God. To keep you from spending eternity in the presence of God. He will do anything that he can. And his power is great, but it is limited. And our enemy, the devil, already knows what side that he falls on. But what you and I were created to do is to live in relationship with God and relationship with others. That's why the church was always God's plan. It's not a backup. It was always God's plan. And that's why how we function as the church when we come together or when we travel and when we influence others for Jesus, when we go as the church. I got on my little soapbox for a while. I throw it back in. We don't come to church. We are the church. Okay? So everywhere that we go, we represent Jesus. When we travel, when we're helping, when people know who we are, when they don't know who we are, we represent Jesus when we go. And we are to be supported and cared for by other believers and other Christians who will pray for us, who will care for us, who will help us, who will teach us, who will rebuke us when we need it. Not if, but when, okay? Not if, but when. That applies to everyone. Everyone, myself, is everyone. God created us to live with one another. And I think too long, it's easy for us just to stay so busy, sometimes doing really great things, that we're too busy for the church. And we're too busy to live out what God has commanded, because rarely does God give suggestions, um, what he has commanded for us to do. And it's easy to drift in life. And it's really easy for me to lose sight of what is most important. But rarely, if ever, do you get someplace really great by drifting. We're called to live life with intentionality and on purpose because God has spelled it out for us. When we feel alone, we know that God is with us. 
But you notice that how God designed us, and he's speaking to how we function with one another when he said it wasn't good for the person not to have a helper, to have community, to have other people to support and to care for them. No, Adam and Eve were not the church, but they are where we came from. And their DNA is in us, good or bad, or good and bad. (laughs) And we need one another. And if I choose not to participate in the body of Christ, not only am I cheating myself out, I'm cheating out uh, the people that God wants for me to help. Because you can reach people in your life for Jesus that I can't. Okay? I guess the reverse of that is true. I can reach people in my life that you can't. But the Bible talks about the church. And it's not just that the Bible says it, it's because God said it. And it was recorded to us, and it is true because the Bible is true, because it is God's word, and it is his revelation. And we are called to share the love of Jesus. I heard it stated really well this past weekend, or past week, I spent a couple days in Nashville with a few friends. And... It can be really easy for us to make Jesus' final command our least concern. In Matthew 28, we say, Therefore, go, go, and make disciples in teaching them, baptizing them of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. It's real easy to get busy. And it's real easy to come up with excuses or reasons, whatever you want to call them. But it's never justified. Because we are called to live in a relationship with God and a relationship with others. That's why when Jesus was asked what commandment is greatest, it was a trick question. And he said, I'll answer your question. I'll give you one better. He does that a lot. He does that in my life to ask God a question. He said, Joel, you asked the wrong question. Let me give you the answer to the question you should have asked. Um, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't spend time with somebody, how can you love them? If you don't spend time with people, how can you know what's going on in their life beyond the superficial? I'm okay. Because most of the time, we're not okay. But we're afraid to tell people. I don't know, sometimes you might be afraid to tell people that you're not okay because you've been hurt by people in the past. And that happens. That's not an excuse, but it happens. We've been hurt, some of us, deeper than others. But just because you can't trust someone doesn't mean you can't trust anyone. Okay. How God designed us is to live in community with one another in the church, on purpose, for his work, for his kingdom. And we can't do that in two hours a week on Sunday morning. It can't be done. I don't think that was ever God's plan. You see Jesus as he called his disciples, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He lived with them. And he worked with them, and he traveled with them, and he taught them, and he ate with them, and he corrected them, and he joked with them, and he laughed, and he had a good time. He spent time with them, investing in them, and he could tell where they were in their faith by the way that they talked and the things that they heard. So then Jesus could address and explain things to them even before they asked because he spent time with them and he knew. And I don't think that was just Jesus' awesome power as God, knowing all of our problems. That was Jesus, I think, also observing as a person, seeing when other people are hurting so that he can jump in and that he can help. And if you're not in proximity to other people, how are you going to know? Or think about it from this way. What about in your life when you're hurting and you don't want anybody to know? If you don't allow people to be close enough to you in proximity to you and your life, 
How are they going to know? How are they going to be able to fulfill the function that the church was given to bear one another's burdens and to help one another? If I'm to something, <laughs> to let other people know, to let other people know about how much they care for me. And what we see is that Jesus, he modeled this. We can't divorce Jesus' methods from his message. Jesus not only gave us the truth, but I think how we went about it is just as divine. Jesus told people the truth, but then he modeled it and he lived it for them. You see Jesus teaching the crowds in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Over, teaching the crowds, and then he teaches his 12. And then there's even more time that he spends with three, Peter, James, and John. Because relationally, he knew that he needed to invest in them, and his time on this earth was limited just like yours. And you can do things, you can share things in smaller segments of the Christian community that wouldn't be appropriate to share in a group of 80 or a group of 12, but you can with a group of three or two or four. And that's why I think the best thing for us is to live together in community as the church. And this is a part of it. Corporate Sunday worship always will be because it has been, and that was a practice of the early church, and it's awesome, but it is more than that. And the next way for you to be able to get involved in that is to, from our perspective here at Cross Plains, is get more involved with another group. We're calling those life groups. We've got a couple of those um, that are meeting because we can get to know one another better. We can pray for one another. We can spend time in God's word, and we can care for and minister to one another. And I'm not naive enough to think, you know, it's God's job to convict people. It's not mine. It's not your job to convict people. You can share Jesus with people. You can share truth with people. And the Holy Spirit convicts. Okay. And I know, and I know you might hear something and feel something else based on other experience. But our goal is to have a life group that everybody can come to. Not one life group because it works best in a smaller environment. So right now, hopefully, as we develop and as we grow, there will be a life group that fits your schedule because all of our schedules are different and we're all busy. But please never tell me you don't have time because that's just an excuse. We have to make time for what's important. Um, and when God makes it important for you, you'll make time. Right now, the life group that Jesse and I that lead, we meet on some day of the week. Friday nights at my house, we're going for twice a month. Um, Jeff and Shay are leading a group. They meet on Thursday nights at their house. Um, Ellen and TJ have a group. They meet Fridays normally. They have met some Saturdays. Phil and Jamie are looking to continue a group. Their best schedule is Saturday even, or sometime on Saturdays. And I know there's people that that works best for you. And find one of us and ask us. And we may ask you, but we're not going to beg because, you know, God will convict us when it's time for that. When it's ready for us to continue to grow and to follow Jesus, how he's calling you to be obedient to him. God will convict you with that. And we just want to make sure that we've got Jesus' system in place <laughs> to plug people in so we can grow. And our life groups are for non-believers. They're for Christians. They're for people who are, aren't sure about it. They're for everybody. Anybody can come. Anybody and ever. We want them to come. But we are going to intentionally keep them small with the purpose of our groups because we met together as a group and then we branched our group because we're not going to ask you to do something we're not doing ourselves. That's not genuine. That's not what Jesus did. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take our groups, and as they grow, they're going to branch, and they're going to become more groups, and there's going to be new leaders because we can do this. 
God can do this with the power in us, his spirit in us. We'll be able to accomplish his plan. And that's why Jesus told Peter. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Because we have the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. That's what we need. We don't have to gussy it up or fancy it up with anything else. A lot of the other stuff's nice. We don't need anything else. We need Jesus, and the whole world needs Jesus. He is the bread of life. And he'll never go hungry again once you eat from that bread. 